movie halfway through uh, and then kind of turning and walking out where we don't understand where we fit in the larger scheme. In fact, I was having a conversation with somebody on Facebook, which doesn't actually count as having a conversation, nor should it ever happen. But it was happening in the comment section. Yeah, really good. You'd think as a pastor, you know, I would learn. Other people see this. Uh, some of you have considered stopping to coming from to our church because of things I've... No, I was kidding. That's never happened. Um, maybe. <laughs> uh, and we're having this, this dialogue back and forth. Uh, and basically the statement this person was trying to... Or this, this truth this person was trying to um, put out there was that uh, the narrative of our faith doesn't really affect... Uh, the way that we live when we really get down to it. And it was fascinating to walk through this discussion. So then it went offline, and we started to get into a little bit more. And these are the divisive conversations I get into about narrative. But we were talking about, no, 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 why the very things that ground you, your understanding, whether it's how you saw your parents interact, how you've made sense of of uh, being a, a citizen of the United States, of making sense of whatever your race is or your economic. There are all sorts of stories that are told about who you are and what you're kind of doing here, what you should be aiming at and what you value. And so it, it's actually really important that, and this is why we do this series every fall, is some version of this. A couple of years ago, it was like, why church or church in the wild? We were listening to a lot of Jay-Z then. You know, there was like different, different just kind of reminders of what it means for us to be faithful to this larger call and hitting different aspects of it. So on this rock, on you, this, this, this gentleman Peter, this guy who doubts and has questions and is, is really kind of overeager, uh, misses the boat, who does, who's a lot of, clearly a lot of fear, this broken person just like all of us is invited to play a critical part in seeing God's work go forward. And so today, uh, as we're getting close to the end, we have one more week after this of this series, I wanted to talk a, a bit about um, our role and as it relates to the table, as it relates um, to food. If on our everyday actions, like regular old people like us, are helping God build the church or in making disciples to be more accurate as we go and make disciples and invite people into the way of Jesus, God really builds his church. So as we do this, as we're inviting people into this way of life and love, um, what is the role and is there much of one when it comes to, to food? Many have argued that if you were to boil the Christian faith down to one thing, it's this. It's just a meal. That's what it all ends up boiling down to. So I, I ask this question first and foremost. What do you think is the most neglected discipline in the church? The most neglected practice in the church. What would you think? If you were to just guess. No, literally, actually say it. Prayer. I think that's probably up there. What's another, like, neglected practice? Community. The practicing community together. What else? Somebody who's like super burned out. <laughs> Rest. Sabbath. Yeah. Yeah, I think, I think the, the, the discipline of hospitality ranks up there. And I don't mean like our greeters are smiling at the door hospitality. 
I don't mean someone said hi to you as you walked through the door. I don't mean like passive niceness, which we even in Providence, like in New England, we struggle with, right? Like just like casual niceness. Uh, a friend of mine's getting married today, and she's from the South, and it's like she just doesn't struggle with that, at least casual niceness. It's like, hi. Actually, even today, and many of you know Lauren Waka, who's one of the uh, leaders here at our church. We are down here kind of getting ready, and we just hear Lauren's, like, laugh, like, bellowing in the background. And just, like, you could hear every person she'd casually engage. Like someone new. You may have met her. You're the person who's brand new, walked in the door. And you were like, hi, you know, what's up? I, I'm whoever, so-and-so, Jane. And Lauren's like, oh. Like, that's, that's Lauren. She's the one laughing really hard at herself right now. I, I think even in our city, we struggle with just that, like passive sort of like just casual niceness. But for those of us who at least get that and are at least friendly enough, this is not going to be a teaching that's going to be an invitation to be nice to people. This is actually, our, do we have an understanding of how God has used uh, and would use our, our tables? So Matthew 9 was the text that we read. Matthew, um, I'm sorry, Matthew, if you look at Matthew 11, the son of man, verse 19, came eating and drinking. And they say, here is a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. But wisdom is proved right by her deeds. The son of man came eating and drinking. And in the story that Brad just read, we get a picture of the type of people. So in our culture, like food is a fascinating thing right now. Like just, just to look real quick at, like, how do we tend to see food? Uh, for those of you who have Instagram, could you please get a show of hands of how many people have Instagrammed some aspect of their food recently? Please be, this is an honest place, safe place. Be yourself. This is open, inclusive. Let's, let's see them high. If you have, at any point, Instagrammed your food. Yeah. Yes. Somebody who did not want to raise their hand just had to raise their hand. It was so good. It's like that nudge, like, honey, don't lie. Uh, Providence has been named multiple times one of the top foodie cities in the country. Right? Just like per capita, there are so many incredible places to eat. Uh, A friend of mine recently, we just did a brunch walk. Uh, By the way, the best place to do a brunch walk, which sounds ridiculous, right? There's like beer crawls, like pub crawls. Which makes more sense. You can have like one beer here, one beer here, one beer here. You know, you limit that and spread it out over enough time, you'll, you'll be all right, probably. But like a brunch crawl, we're like, let's just try it. <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, we got to start with, we start with coffee or a scone, right? And then we'll get like, you know, just one pancake and then we'll get an omelet. It didn't work out really well. But <laughs> we were noticing that, for instance, on the, I live on the west side. I have a lot of, a lot of pride there. And so you go from the Grange, right, and then you swerve over to Kitchen, right, and then you pop over to White Electric, and then you dart back to hit Seven Stars, and then you hit, oh, no, you pop back to Julian's, then you hit Seven Stars for a quick, you know, espresso on your way, and then you hit Nick's on Broadway. It's an amazing crawl. Easily all the best breakfast places right there. But in our culture, right, half the world is struggling with some kind of obesity and the other half are starving. We have a tension in our culture of abundance and lack. This is a very real thing. People are taking, like, really stylized photos of their food, which is great. I understand the art and beauty of taking pictures of your food. Uh, but the other half of the world is actually starving. Only, this is a startling statistic, only 17% of families regularly sit down together to eat meals. 
17%. I'm not one of these like harken back to the good old days when everybody sat down because we all know there's no such thing as the good old days. Everybody had their, their issue. But man, there's something lost. There's something lost about eating around the dinner table. This is the places where stories were woven, right? This is a place like where parents could tell if you were lying. It was around the dinner table. That's what you knew. You couldn't hide there for some reason. You could hide everywhere else. But, like, you're sitting next to mom, and she's like, nah. I remember a story, um, and I remember this vividly because it was a really early childhood memory, but it stuck out because I still carried a lot of, it wasn't shame, which is bad. I should say I carried shame, but I didn't actually feel shame. I think it was, like, almost awesomeness. Like, this time I almost got away with it. So, for some reason, it was lunch, but I had... Uh, pa- I had some pasta, but my mom made carrots for me, which I just remember being weird. It was like the frozen carrots, like the frozen honey glazed carrots. Anyone know what I'm talking about? Just take those out, pop them in the, the pan, and like, ooh, honey glazed carrots. And you put like one seasoning over top of it, and then you can totally lie like you made them yourself. Uh, most people don't even cook for yourself, do you, in this room? <laughs> and so um, we, we uh, my mom put it down on the plate, I'm eating my food. I really didn't want those carrots. I desperately did not want to eat carrots. My mom got up. I don't remember what she went to go do. And I walked over to the trash can. And I, like, put the carrots in the trash can. Now, I was, I was an okay, like, I knew what I was doing. I was an amateur hour, even though I was probably, like, five years old. I, I noticed the carrot box in the trash. So I lifted the carrot box up, put the carrots underneath, put the, right? Put the carrot box back down. Maybe even thrown, like, a piece of lettuce, you know, for effect. You know, like, yeah, it was a good move. I went back. I sat down. I was even smart enough to leave one carrot on my plate. Come on. My mom sits down. So how was your morning? Oh, I was good. Good, mom. Good. Oh, I see you ate your carrots. Yeah, yeah, they're good. And that was the place. I, like, I, I turned it up too high. It's like, yeah, so good. Good carrots. And just this look in her eye. I was like. So she kept talking to me, but it felt like we weren't really talking about what we were talking about. And, like, we were still talking about the carrots. I don't remember all the details at this point, but all I do remember is my mom getting up and doing the slow walk to the trash can. (laughs) And getting to the trash can, looking back at me, there's, like, this little archway. And so I was, like, would have been just out of, like, the angle from the trash. I couldn't see the trash from my seat. And opens up the trash and lifts up, like, I, I, I don't know if she lifted it up or sh- whatever. But she, like, I think she maybe brought the trash can back over and, like, into view and just went, do you have anything to tell me? And you, like, what do you do? Like, there's no, there's no move there. Like, there, I couldn't think that. They were dirty. I spilled them on the ground. Uh, I just, not. And I didn't carry enough shame as a child to start crying. Um, my, my parents have a, a comic that they leave on their fridge, and it just says, I apologize. I was deeply loved as a child. Right? Like, that was me. I was deeply cared for and adored as a child. Like, there's a weird backside to that, which is like, you're like, you feel no shame. It's all grace, baby. Right? <laughs> hey, Mom, remember the gospel? Ha-ha! <laughs> right? <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> Anyway, 
like, there's something, like, sacred. There's something intimate. There's something about the table where, like, you're looking each other in the eye. And if you're not just, like, scarfing through dinner or you're not one of those families that has, like, the TV on, God bless you. I, I'm starting to understand why parents sometimes turn the TV on at the dinner table. But you're actually looking each, other's in the eye, looking each other in the eye. There's something that happens. How did Jesus use food? So a couple things I want to give as background before we unpack the story that Brad read. One, we're th- this setting, there are two cultures happening. There's the Roman culture and there's the Jewish culture that are colliding in this moment. First is the Roman culture. So the Romans, when it came to meals, they had this thing called bread and circus. So this was a, a play, it was sort of like Julian's meets UFC fighting. Uh, it, was, it was these large events that would take place where they would give out food and give out bread to the poor and entertain people. And it was a way of essentially, it was a lot more going on here, but numbing the masses, a lot, reminding yourself that peace and prosperity and care actually come from Rome. All the while, there's this gross inequality. Um, and so you'd eat like, these, like today, like three times a day. And there was something within Roman culture where if you sat, even, even if you were invited into the meal, you kind of knew your social status. If you were close to the host, you were in. Slaves, servants, folks that were less than, lower on the totem pole, you would sit further away. The same kind of thing actually happened in, happens in Jewish culture, which is really the kind of up-close context that we have in this passage. Um, first of all, you can't really understand uh, the Jewish context that Jesus comes up in and Jesus is operating in without understanding food. Like the Bible starts with an all-out, like, all-you-can-eat veggie buffet. And then you have, like, passage after passage after passage that relates to food. A quick overview. Exodus 25, the bread of the presence is on the table. Leviticus 24, go and eat this meal in a holy place. Psalm 23, prepare a table in the presence of our enemies. So a picture of, like, in the presence of your enemies, there is food, and this is a place of refuge. God prepares a feast in Isaiah 25. Luke 22, eat and drink at my table is the invitation. Matthew 11, take their place at the feast. Um, Like a great wedding banquet. Luke 14, eat and feast in the kingdom. In Revelation, never again will they hunger and thirst. It plays this central, central role. And so one of the primary questions, and this will help us make sense of the Jewish culture, is this question, who eats with who? Who gets to eat with who? And before you tap out and think, how on earth does any of this relate to us? That's not an issue these days. Not that long ago did we see signs in, in people's buildings and on restaurants that said what? No blacks allowed. Or whites only. We understand even in our modern, elevated culture, right, there's a lot of things these days that will sort of like uh, uh, kind of passively in our city um, encourage uh, who gets to eat here and who doesn't. Uh, Nazi Germany, we've seen even in the last century, or I guess this was the century before. We're starting fresh, guys. We got this one. <laughs> We know this. This is a repeating, a repeating issue where people create hierarchy and social hierarchy around the actual table. The Pharisees were, were, would look at the meal as a way to exclude. 
Again, while Jesus was having dinner at Matthew's house, many tax collectors and sinners came and ate with him and his disciples. When the Pharisees saw this, they asked his disciples, why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? One of the most subversive things it seems that Jesus does is eat with the wrong people. So the Pharisees used food um, basically like this. There was a desire. So Pharisees are the religious people. They were the people who did not, at least according to most of the Gospels, have a whole lot of fun. But here's what's going on. Central to the Jewish story is your land, this country. I mean, to this day, you've got fights, arguments, prayers, politics, swimming around about this little parcel of land in the middle of the Middle East. It's because it's, it's not peripheral to their story of who they are. It is central. And so they are occupied by this Roman superpower that we've all read about in U.S. Hist- or in world history. Rule the world from England to India. And they're holding your land captive. And you're like, God, where are you? And the Pharisees thought one of the main issues is their sin in our midst. Which they're on to something, right? Usually when God breaks out and does something, there's repentance. People are turning back to the way they were called to be. The Pharisees took the law, which is the Torah, the first five books of the Old Testament, called the way, the truth, and the life, which interestingly Jesus calls himself, the fulfillment, what this whole Torah was about, we find in Jesus. But they took this law and they said, if we follow this to the letter, wait, 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 if we make sure we follow this to the letter, then maybe God will kick the Romans out. This is one of the dominant narratives of the religious folks, of these Pharisees. And so they would actually heap extra laws on top of the law. They'd be like, just to make sure you don't do that, let's also do this. And add and add and add and add. And it became, you can imagine, if you've read anything about just sort of like ancient philosophy or religious systems, or, or we could probably do a lot of modern critiques, right, around gun control issue or like all sorts of like difficult issues where we have sort of, here's the stated law, and then how do we make sure that no one breaks it? Well, at some point, it's all an issue of a heart, but we can do some things to mitigate this. And, and so for the Pharisees, it was like, well, if we can just get this equation right and then get everybody to live exactly how they're supposed to live, this will be great. So the temple was a place where you'd come for religious worship, and there are all these laws about what it meant to do temple worship. And most of it revolved around food and cleaning things. Just follow me. This is ancient, an ancient culture. And there's this understanding, this very sacramental, like physical way of understanding the world, understanding God. If we do this and we eat here at this point and we walk through this thing and this is how we clean it, this will be a way in which God has told us, like, let's get things right before we enter into his presence. It was a way of aligning yourself with the divine. The Pharisees were like, hey, I know one thing we could do to make God come back, to kick the Romans out. Every household, every household is going to be like a temple. So then they took what were these laws and all of these things around food, which was actually rather expensive, amongst other things, and said, every household, every household needs to be this, needs to do this. So you can see how this creates a problem. So then when we look at these two groups, tax collectors and sinners, to understand the context of why those two are important, knowing that background, it becomes really clear. Tax collectors are like an army chaplain sitting down with like an Al-Qaeda leader and having dinner. 
The tax collectors are the ones that are taxing the Jews. This is our land. You guys have taken it over, and you're making us pay to hang out on what should be rightfully our land. Oh, my gosh. You can see how this, like, this created this ache. So they look at Jesus, who's supposed to be one of them. Right? So too often we kind of like just act like the Pharisees are this ridiculous group of people. I would never have been like that. Like, no, we need to, like, have a heart for the Pharisees. Because they're going, I, we want our, our land back, and if maybe we get everything right, God will show back up. And you, Jesus, you're claiming to be one of us, and you're going to literally eat with, the, like, the terrorist, like, oppressive regime. Oh, my gosh. And then sinners. Sinners weren't, like, usually when you think of sinners, right, we think of, like, I don't know, the, like, the guy or girl who, like, drinks too much or, like, sleeps around or something. You know, we, we kind of have our modern list of whatever, like, your list of sinners are. Those folks that don't do whatever. This isn't what's happening here. The sinners that are being referred to are the folks that couldn't do all the laws. They couldn't turn their house into a temple. The sinners were the ones who, like, it'd be like saying, everyone at Sanctuary, if you're really a follower of Jesus, you will only shop at Whole Foods. Right? Like, that is the only like, organic, free-range, petted, loved, and kissed chickens. That is the only kinds of chickens you will eat. Can I get an amen? I mean, that would be, like, only. And that's what the Pharisees were saying. So folks that couldn't do it, there was a whole class of people that just gave up. There's a whole class of people that were like, I can't, I can't, we must not be as good as Jews as you are. And they kind of walked away. Sinners, these people who are being pushed to the edge of the table or not even invited in, the tax collectors, the oppressors, the very people that were, like, causing all of these issues. This was religion for the elites, using meals as a form of self-righteous, judgmental condemnation. Tim Chester says this, in an incredible book called Meals with Jesus. I'm greatly indebted to his work if you want to pick that book up. Tim Chester says this, Jesus is handling, handing out God's party. Jesus is handing out God's party invitations. They read, you're invited to my party in the new creation. Come as you are. The religious leaders agreed there was a party and an invitation, even that it was possible to an end. In other words, they believe like, yeah, yeah, we want heaven too. We want to see all this put back together. We want our land back. We want to see God reigning. But when the religious leaders passed out the invitations, they didn't say, come as you are. They said, you've got to get changed. You've got to get cleaned up. As a people didn't come. As a result, people didn't come because they didn't think they were good enough. This is how the Pharisees took away the key of knowledge. Three times a day, you would realize that you couldn't afford what, like, the right religious moves were. Like, you couldn't live up. Every day you were reminded of being an outcast. Imagine being an African-American in the South in the early 19th century, walking by, walking by people's storefronts. You were reminded every day. Or you were reminded every day of how powerful you were. Every day you walked by, if you were white, you walked by a sign that said blacks only. You were reminded of your status that you were in, that you were accepted. Into all of this comes Jesus. 
Why does your teacher eat with tax collectors and sinners? On hearing this, Jesus said, it is not the healthy who need a doctor, but the sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but the sinners. You're like doctors, but you hate sick people. That's what Jesus is saying. Imagine going to your doctor, right? You like broke your arm and you're like, help. And your doctor's like, oh, it's the thing with the, no, get out of here. Right? It's a silly image. And this is offensive. This would have been so offensive. You're like people who, who like are doctors that, that hate, like the very people you're here to serve. Jesus is saying you're in the wrong job. So we see Jesus doing these kinds of moves with the Pharisees, helping them rethink what God is like, what the law is meant for all the time. And food becomes this central way in which he does this. In other words, this story is not unique. Arthur Bauer says this, if you can read the Gospels without getting hungry, you're not paying attention. Right? Let's put this to the test. Look how food is used in Luke 5. Jesus eats with tax collectors and sinners at Levi's house. Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. Luke 9, Jesus feeds the 5,000. Luke 10, Jesus eats at home, at the home of Mary and Martha. Luke 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and teachers of the law at a meal. In Luke 14, Jesus is at a meal when he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than their friends. In Luke 19, Jesus invites himself to dinner with Zacchaeus. Uh, not a good dude. In Luke 22, we have the account of the Last Supper. In Luke 24, the risen Christ has a meal with the two disciples in Emmaus and then later eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. Jesus rises from the dead. How does he show, like, Peter, the guy we've been talking about a lot in the series, how does he reveal himself, right? He didn't, like, institute YouTube and then, like, shoot a video out, right? He didn't, like, go up in the air and was like, oh, check this out, you know? I always imagine Jesus doing karate kid moves. I have no idea why. Like the crane, but like way up in the air. Like, how does Jesus like reveal himself? Come on, you all have a picture of Jesus doing the crane right now. Yeah, amen. You love your, is it happening right now? It's sort of happening. Good call, Brad. He eats fish with them. That's what he does. He goes and he eats a meal. This is how he announces himself. It's, it's just interesting. There are actually three ways in the New Testament to complete the sentence, the Son of Man came. Jesus came. There are three ways in the New Testament to complete the sentence. So Jesus came what? In Mark ten forty five, the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. One. Two. The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, Luke 19.10. And the third, the Son of Man has come eating and drinking, Luke 7.34. The first two are statements of purpose. Why did Jesus come? He came to serve, to give his life as a ransom, to seek and save the lost. The third is a statement of method. The third is a statement of method. How did he come? He came eating and drinking. The way he came to seek and save the lost was to look them in the face over a meal and say, I'm here to make you well. I'm here to make you well. Go, go 
and learn what this means then, Jesus says. Right? This, this, this passage that we're circling here. After all of this, he calls them out. He says, you guys are like doctors. They don't care for the sick. He's already modeled eating with all the wrong kinds of people. And then he says this phrase, go and learn what this means. This is like an audacious statement. This is to the religious leaders. Go and learn what the scriptures actually mean. It's offensive. It'd be like having like, I don't know, we invite some great theologian to come in and share with us about the word. Some great leader of the faith. You know, and one of our, 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 like, our friends who is, you know, I don't know, alcohol on his breath, like never opened the Bible before. I don't know, drum up the stereotype in your head, whatever, like, and walks up on stage and kind of pushes the theologian to the side, grabs the mic and says, let me, let me actually tell you what this means. This is the guy who's like taken his whole life to study this passage, to study the scriptures. This is what Jesus does. You need to go and learn what the scripture actually means. And he says this, I desire mercy, not sacrifice, for I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. The heart of what God wants is a heart of mercy. Heart of mercy. Jesus uses food as God's great welcome. Jesus uses food as God's great welcome. The parties of Jesus are celebrations. The Pharisees are mourning that they're like, the, the, the Romans are here. They're mourning the absence of, of heaven, of the, of the rule and reign of God. They're doing what every one of us does on some primal level, even if you're here and you're not a Christian. On some level, you mourn that the world is not the way it's supposed to be. And if you don't, you have simply, I humbly submit, numbed yourself. You can't not and be, be like, uh, have blood rushing through your veins. The world's not how it's supposed to be. And these Pharisees are going, we want the world to be how it's supposed to be. And the ways they're doing this are grasping at stuff, excluding people. If we get the right thing together, this is going to work out. God's going to come back. Jesus extends the invitation of heaven now. The parties of Jesus are celebrations. In Jesus, God has come to his people. He's announcing that actually heaven is breaking through now. And so fasting in the life of Jesus gives way to, to feasting. Their meals are eaten with joy. They must be. Jesus is contrasting the old way with the new way. The new way is gracious rather than religious. The new way is inclusive rather than exclusive. It is welcoming rather than unwelcoming. The way of Jesus is characterized by feasting rather than fasting, rejoicing rather than grumbling. It recognizes its need to find hope in the Savior rather than feeling self-righteous and therefore rejecting the Savior. It recognizes that we are in need of rescue. Look at these two lists. Gracious, inclusive, welcoming, feasting, rejoicing, and recognizing. Uh, recognizing your need. Compared with religious, exclusive, unwelcoming, fasting, grumbling, and self-righteousness. So the question for us this morning is, are you living as someone who belongs to the new way? Are you... Are we eating, thinking, living? It's our lens. It's our lens set up that we are seeing things as Jesus does. For Jesus, three things. A meal is a sign of God's great welcome. 
It's a sign that God is here and welcoming everyone home. It's a feast, too. It's a feast of grace. Remember the words that Jesus quotes, what he's living out from the words of, of Isaiah. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no money, come buy and eat. Come buy wine and milk without spending money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest affair. Like God's not on a diet. Like God's pouring extra cups. Like God's bringing the pastiche. It's a fine dessert place on Federal Hill if you're new to the city. Contextualizing. We sometimes have this weird view that God is like, has this narrow kind of outlook. That God is like a, a hoarder, a passionless, desireless God. Like, just get it all right. We actually do the thing that the Pharisees were doing. We sort of put that on God. The Pharisees had missed this rich and generous come, come and feast, this great welcome, this feast of grace. The kingdom of God is a feast of grace. This is the prodigal son story. For those of you familiar with that, right? What drives him home is hunger. It's the first thing the father does. Right? He dresses him and brings them to the feast. And the older brother, who's the Pharisee in the story, right? The, the, he says, we've come to celebrate. How could we not celebrate? Jesus is saying the redemptive heart is celebration, is this feast of grace. This is why so often, I know this rubs some of you the wrong way. I'm okay with it. And I mean this, with, I don't mean this like to, to remove reverence. But when we come to the communion table... And sometimes, you know, I'll invite you to say cheers instead of the, 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 your body broken and your blood poured out. Instead of traditional liturgy, I sometimes am like, just say cheers. This feast of grace is a celebration of what God has done for us. And there are times of year where we remember the, like, ache that we put God through. We remember the fact that we're in need of a Savior and the sacrifice of Jesus, of course. But we remember that as something in the past. We remember that as something that is been done. We remember that as now this great invitation that we have to celebrate the best news in the world, this feast of grace. One of my favorite communion moments was sitting at a bar. Sitting at a bar. We were at a, a table near the bar. And we're like having this whole conversation. And my buddy who is like, like I'm a celebrator. And, and this dude is like, it's like he's turned up to 11. And so we're sitting there, and he's just like, we're having this great conversation about what God's doing and all this stuff. And then another friend comes over, and he's like, how good? How good is God? I'm like, yeah, yeah. You know when people say that, you don't know how to respond? They're like, yeah, good. yeah he's good. Sure, of course. Like, right? But their, like, energy is too high for you, so you don't know how to adjust to that. You're like, yeah! Like, you feel awkward if you were to try to meet them in that spot. And if you don't have anybody in your life who says, like, just sometimes looks you in the eye and goes, isn't God good? Like, you need to find a friend like that. And so we're sitting around the table. Somebody else comes over, a friend of mine I hadn't seen. We're, like, filling him in on this, like, all these great just things that had happened. And, he, and, and what was great is all of these great things were happening in the midst of a lot of hurt in, in really my friend's life. I think that's what it hit him. He goes up to the bar, orders a bottle of wine, comes back down, like, puts it on the table. 
just like slams it down on the table. And he's like, let's take communion, boys. Exact line. Let's take communion, boys. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> Pours like the wine in each of the glasses. There wasn't any like like normal bread. There were just these like biscuit things that we had. Like takes them out. Like or sorry, we ordered them. It comes out and we just sit there. And he just raises his cup. And we're like in, I mean, it's, it's a loud bar, but it's not like ridiculously loud that if someone shouted what he's about to shout, like people aren't going to notice. And he's like, we are, we are redeemed people, promised eternal life, crowned with glory. God has welcomed us, people as jacked up as us. Cheers. And he didn't just say cheers. He may have said cheers mofo. But it was still amazing. He's like, cheers, mother... Like, ugh. Almost with you, bro. And it was amazing. It was the best communion I've ever had, ever, bar none. Because we sat there just like, yes. Thank God for this feast of grace that we are welcomed into. This is what heaven is like, literally. We are told it is a wedding banquet. Tonight, Grant and Elizabeth, friends of ours, are getting married I know, it's so exciting. They're getting married, and we're going to do the ceremony. It's going to be beautiful and reverent, and we're going to, like, rejoice, and it's going to be great. But then afterwards, like, we're going to party. Like, these two party. And they are just ready for it to celebrate. That's the, if we want to ask, like, what's heaven like? Like, that's the closest thing we got. The picture that we're given is this. The angel said to me in Revelation 19, write this, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And he added, these are the truth words of God. Jesus changed the world by who he ate with. Jesus deconstructed race relations. He welcomed the outcast. He confronted hypocrisy. I love services. I love programs. I love to do what I do. But look, every single one of you have 21 chances this week to be like Jesus with the broken and hurting around you. You are in the world. You don't have to get pulled out into like church stuff three times a day to take a tax collector, to take an outsider out. Maybe you're not ready for a meal. Maybe we'll go scones and some world-class espresso. Like whatever it is, I humbly put forth that we can shape the city by who we eat with. We can shape the city by who we eat with. And our challenge then is to eat one meal with someone who doesn't know Jesus this week. Maybe you're here and you don't know Jesus. I'd encourage you, like, come to one of our dinners. We're doing all these dinner parties, not this week, but next week. These eat-ups. He's like, just chance to come and eat. Come and eat. Our homes are to be hospitals. Refuges of healing radiating the light of heaven. Our dinner tables are to be operating tables, the place where broken souls are made whole again. In our churches, people should find rest from their battle of acceptance and release from the lie that they are nothing more than the goods they possess. And when we lower our defenses, when we remove our facades and our peepholes and we begin to truly present be present with one another, then the healing power of the gospel can begin its work. The English word, literally, for hospitality originates from the same Latin root as hospital, literally meaning a home for strangers. 
a home for strangers. Of course, it means a place of healing now, but there's a link between being welcomed and being healed that goes beyond just wordplay. There's something about being welcomed and being healed. Who are the prodigals? Who are the prodigals? Who are the people around you that need to know? Maybe you are here and you have felt so ostracized and pushed out by the church. Jesus came to invite everyone in, and I'm sorry. If any place, we as followers of Jesus, outposts of heaven and love as we go out into the world, setting up cells in our home to care for those. And maybe for you, it's not just the obvious folks. It's not just like the homeless person up the street or something. Maybe for you, it's the arrogant coworker. And for you, it's the person who is most frustrating. It's the person, right? The tax collector, the enemy in your midst. Maybe it's folks that you've known really well and you just like haven't done this really simple move. I'll give you directions. Invite somebody over for dinner and just say, would you tell me your story? That's it. I literally just outlined your entire night. I know it's hard to invite people into your home. I know it's hard to, like, bridge that gap. But for us to be people that are actually developing friendships that go beyond the surface and what did you do at work today, this isn't peripheral to the gospel. It's central. It's not over here like a nice add-on to the good news of Jesus. Jesus came. His methodology in part was eating and drinking with those around him. If you are a disillusioned, apathetic hipster, Jesus wants to eat a meal with you. If you are angry and frustrated at your lot, Jesus wants to have a meal with you. If you are an outcast, if you feel pushed away by the church, Jesus wants to have a meal with you. If you feel like less than, because of your socioeconomic status, if you feel less than because of your sexuality, if you feel less than, Jesus wants to have a meal with you. And if you're a Pharisee, he doesn't. (laughs) He doesn't. He wants you to stop, chill out, remind yourself of the grace of God, and then come. I'm being slightly facetious. But we can't be those folks. We can't say come as you are and really we're like, well, come as you seem. Come as you'd like to project. That will be the great war of our culture. That we would be a place on this rock, on these people, on our shoulders. God would do something powerfully in our homes. 300 of us this week going out into the world setting up hospitals, clearing the tables. One last invitation. I know some of you, whether it's in home groups or things that you're starting in your homes, like with other folks, some of you, actually the invitation maybe is just to folks that you've been walking alongside but have been scared to go deep with in any way. Maybe the challenge, the invitation for you today is to actually, like, stop waiting for the church to help you develop a spiritual friendship. Like, that's not our job. We can set the table. 
but maybe it's to invite people into your, into your life. Let's pray. Lord, as we come to the table, may you give us vision of who to invite. May you remind us that Jesus did not give us words to simply agree with, but to participate in. We pray, hospitable God, you invite us to a banquet where the last may be first and the humble and the mighty trade places. Let us share your abundance with no fear of scarcity. Let us greet strangers as angels you have sent. Send your spirit now so that we may find a place at your table and welcome others with radical hospitality. In the name of Jesus, guest at all of our tables, we pray. Amen. So we come to take a meal together. I wish we had had the bandwidth to get giant loaves of bread and a really long dinner table in here. But for now, maybe come, take the bread, dip it in the cup as a reminder of Christ's body broken and blood poured out, of the Jesus who is the most hospitable, the Jesus, the God who welcomes us home. God who says, I have forgiven you. My grace and mercy is upon you. Just come and eat and be reminded of what I have done and how set free you are. If you are here and you are like, yeah, I'm, I'm somebody who I need to have a meal with Jesus. Like I, I need to have a meal with Jesus. I, I'm, I'm dying here. I'm disconnected. I want to pray for you quickly before we come to the table. Lord, for those that are just at their end, that feel like the ones outside the table, that do not know you, that have not said yes to your great invitation, Lord, I, I, I thank you that you're working in their heart. Thank you that you've used your word to stir something in them. So in this moment, like right now, for those who need to have a meal with Jesus, who need to say yes to the invitation to come home, trust me, trust what I have done for you, forgiven, set free to walk the path of life. Maybe just in the quietness of this moment, you just shoot your hand up to just name this moment, to own this moment. Lord, may all of us, as we come to the table, to be reminded of the invitation, this great, great meal, and all the love and life it represents. Lord, may we find ourselves convicted and comforted. May we find ourselves set free and set into a place of mission. In your name we pray. Amen. So we come up the center aisle and take the bread and dip it in the cup. If you'd like to be prayed for, if you need someone just to speak a word over you, if you're someone who has said yes, yeah, I actually would like to follow Jesus. 
There's a bunch of folks over here who would love to pray with you, love to give you a word. So as we come forward, as we take the bread and dip it in the cup, um, maybe be reminded of who our God and what our God is like. This good and loving Father who welcomes us home. Come forward. Good morning again, church. Uh, you can be seated. Um, this is the time of our service where um, we take that opportunity to give back a portion of what we've been given. Um, so if you're new here at Sanctuary, if this is your very first time, you've been coming for a couple weeks and you're still trying to figure out what's, what's going on here, what's happening, 
who are we, who am I? Um, you know, please let the, the baskets as they pass, just let them pass. Um, this time is really to give a portion of what we've been given. And so um, sometimes we, we take out our checkbook, we say, all right, what's 10% of what I got in that biweekly check? But other times um, we can't do that. Not all of us are blessed to make that quick calculation. And um, so we just want to encourage you that um, maybe it's your time. Maybe it's um, something that you've held back in reconciling with someone. Maybe um, it's, it's just a little portion of your personality that you know that you could give back. Um, consider that your offering to the Lord. Consider that type of reconciliation something that you can offer up to him. Not for that person that you're reconciling with, not for that, that issue that you're trying to solve, but as a, as a reasonable portion of what you've been given, the gift of reconciliation, the ministry of reconciliation. So though it may look tangible in, in the form of dollars and cents, um, let it also uh, be a part of your heart that you're giving back up to the Lord to show, Lord, I'm trying. Um, so as the baskets come around, uh, we just pray that you'd uh, just pray with us during the offering. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this morning. Um, we thank you for the gift of life to be in your presence, to be amongst those who, um, who trust that there's something bigger than ourselves, who trust that there's opportunity for reconciliation in this world. Um, and so we just pray over the, the small portion uh, that we try to give back to you um, as, as something that's reasonable, uh, a reasonable portion of what we've already been blessed with. We thank you and we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you as you give. Lock eyes with, with someone in the back who has a kid on, on her shoulder. 
like just bouncing, and he's like smiling as we're singing, like, good, good father, good, good father. May you go with that sort of joy and freedom to know that our God is good, that his invitation is to everyone, that whatever place you find yourself from mountaintop to valley, the God of the universe has been called throughout history, throughout the scriptures, a good father. And that hospitality, hospitality and welcome that has been given to us, may we extend that at our dinner tables in the coming weeks. May it be said about Sanctuary Church that we are a radically hospitable people, reflecting the love of our good Father. In Jesus' name, everyone said, amen, amen. Thank you for being with us. Um, it's great to have you here. I'm sorry we went a bit long today. Two things, if you'd like to um, help out with helping promote the Create event, meet Jason Lee right up front. And uh, if you'd like to know more about our church, I'm going to be spending just five minutes up in the balcony doing a quick Q&A to give you some updates and feedback on who we are, uh, information on who we are. So if you'd like to join me right after up in the balcony, I'll uh, love to see you up there.